Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka, welcome to Womanity, Women in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us today in studio in Johannesburg is a delegation from the School of Human and Community Development at Wits University. We have Dr. Deline Alexander, who heads up undergraduate affairs at the Department of Psychology. We have Dr. Jeshika Sidat, who is the head of the Department of Speech, Pathology and Audiology. And we have Dr. Simangiele Maisela, who is an educational psychologist. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. And today, with this panel conversation that we have with you, we're going to look at some of the dynamics and, and reasons that women still experience discrimination in their lives, whether it's in, in the workforce or on the home front, and some of the solutions that we have to address that going forwards. So to begin with, women females account for 52% of South Africa's 57 million population. And women's participation in the labor force obviously has important macroeconomic contributions. But globally, in much of the private sector, women are underpaid in terms of compensation. And in comparison to their male counterparts, it's sitting at the region of about 23% less. They tend to work in lower ranking roles and they're overrepresented in the unskilled labor force. And when you hear stats like this, I always like, get this the feeling or this inference of, of inequality and, and discrimination against women in the workforce. What do you think are some of the underlying psychological factors from the perspectives of an organization, as well as female employees that, that tend to perpetuate these trends? And uh, Dr. Sidat, if we can start with you. Okay. Um, I think, I mean, I think there are a whole host of factors. I think there's a long history of, of this happening where we are taking, women are taking um, roles that I think that they can do better at and that they can aspire to greater things and do more. But I do think that there are certain things that women, that we have to concede that women go through. For instance, women get pregnant, women have to leave the labor force at some point uh, and return to it. Uh, women have to, they're homemakers as well and they hold families together. So I think there are certain things that women do that men don't, always or necessarily have such a key role in um, and I think women get and I, I don't want to use the word penalized but they do in some ways get penalized for that um, for instance if someone is applying for a new job and you're pregnant and you go in for an interview I'm not sure that that's always looked at favorably and it's often to the detriment of women and I think those are some of the things that need to be revisited we hear about the, the story of, of Marissa Mayer, who was former CEO of, of Yahoo, but going into interview, being pregnant, managing to get the role, and then having the discrimination thrown at her, almost this, this counter of, by not taking more maternity leave when it was her decision that she took two weeks maternity mm -hmm. leave. She was trying to fulfill this role and at the same time we also had the scenario where Steve Jobs has a terminal illness and it's almost treating pregnancy in the same light. Yes. 
Hmm. And from your point of view, uh, Dr. Alexander? I really agree with Dr. Sidat that there is the sexual stereotyping in our society. Um, if I can speak from my personal experience, and th this is a long time ago, and we can just see how it is being perpetuated in 2000 when I was one of the few colored women that had a master's degree. I made the choice to get sterilized because I had the children that I wanted, a boy and a girl, and I applied for a job. And as if it was humorous, I was told in this very prestigious kind of uh, position that I was uh, offered that I can get this position on the condition that I will not fall pregnant. And I felt that it was so offensive, but I so desperately wanted this job that I overlooked it, but, and I never told anybody about it. But, and I was thinking, it is 17 years later, but I think covertly, this is still happening in the workforce and it of course can never happen to a male of course not because just of sexual stereotyping and from an educational perspective because one of the factors that we know and i've seen it in looking at the the statistics um, that women are, are definitely educating themselves more than men. We see a, a higher rate of, of women with degrees graduating from, from tertiary education in comparison to men. How do you see education as, as being, I, I guess, a, a contributor or an enabler to help combat this? It is um, observable that women are getting more educated as compared to the male counterparts. Um, you know, you have just to go to university campuses, um, EFT uh, colleges, and just observe the numbers of women, young women, who are there daring, you know, to be successful in whatever fields and disciplines where they aspire to be in. And uh, educationally, you know, we wouldn't even think in terms of the classroom context or think of um, a, 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 the impact in a limited way. But we have to think of the social constructions that um, are, are out there. They're just natural. You know, the issues of gender and gender categorization is socially constructed right from you know, families in homes, when children are little, when parents, they haven't even began to think about schooling. Here at home, you find that, you know, children are already genderized. Um, the toys that they are, you know, um, oriented to play with and the duties, even before, you know, parents can consciously do something to educate their children, you find that even the roles that mom and dad are playing here at home, they already instill that kind of cognitive uh, uh, formu formulation that says, you know what, mom is good for this and that and that, dad is good for this and that and that. When something happens or the child falls and, you know, 
um, gets a bruise and daddy says, run to mom, go to mom, go show mom that you, you, you mm. got it. So in short, in this child, this child internalizes that, you know, if anything has to do with helping and caring and feeling good, mom is good for that. So already genderization is already introduced. And on that point, this is where I think the emphasis is about the importance of, of having mothers who are working so that you can recognize that, great, I can go to mom for this, but mom mm. is competitive in the workforce and she's independent. Yes, I've observed that in countries like Finland, you know, which are very much um, egalitarian in terms of um, uh, gender equity. I mean, they are moving, they're very progressive. And you visit, you know, because I was vis- visiting colleagues in one of the universities there. I mean, we would go home, you find that the husband is at home, has already prepared dinner for all of us coming from, you know, work and, you know, and, you know, it's normal. And he is taking care care of the the children in the family however it's not only what would individual members of the family like a man and a woman in the family what they do per se the government and the 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 the, the systems within that particular social systems within the country should actually um uh, uh, encourage and facilitate uh, equality between men and, and, and women. In the sense that, can you imagine if, I mean, we are trying, already now, we have paternity leave, which is, okay, that's progressive, but that's not enough. In other countries, you find that if a dad is not, um, uh, is not, you know, in, is, is deciding to take, you know, a paternity leave, and caring for the children for the first two years because in certain countries children at a young age between you know birth and 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 the age of two years parents have to be at least one parent has to be there to raise the child until that age and it's policy and if we have dads who would say i would choose Mm. to not to go to work and take care of the child or of of my or take care of my children that would you know inculcate uh, uh, values that say daddies can take care of children as well and they can cook they can make coffee they can do everything that uh, women can do but then that has still to be translated to the work environment or to institutions. So you've given an example of of Finland and and Scandinavia and their egalitarian view. I think what's really interesting here is, you know, obviously our listeners can't see you, but you all represent a different demographic and and culture in society. So how do you feel within your culture this this has impacted? And and starting with you, Dr. Sidat. I think it's it's actually very interesting. Um, like I, I keep going back to my childhood and and how I got to where I am today, and and I think it's difficult to also divorce the history of the country from from all that's happening today and and the perceptions about male and female and and roles and responsibilities. But I think definitely, I mean, I'm I'm Indian. I come from an Indian background, 
And <clears throat> if I think about my parents, my father was educated, my mother went to school but didn't complete. And in that, the, our role was a very, I mean, our family at that time and as a child was very much my father worked and not my mother um, taking care of and education was the most important thing, not even sports and those kinds of things, but education and learning. And And now that I'm a parent and I have two boys and I'm a parent, I can see how that's changed so much um, where for me, for whether I had girls or boys or whoever I had, education and sporting opportunities and cultural activities, inclusion and activities, it has to be the same across. So whether it's me loading the dishwasher or my son loading the dishwasher or my husband loading the dishwasher, it has to be the same. But that didn't happen 20 years ago. And that's a generational difference. Absolutely. Because I'm sure, and get me here, but I'm sure mm. your dad is still doing what he's doing oh, and your mom so. is still doing what she's doing <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i mean if i think about so my parents live with me and and it's exactly that i mean my dad would do stuff if my mom's not around but otherwise it's my mom doing stuff for my dad whether it's preparing breakfast or whether it's cleaning up something or whatever it is and, that, and that's as you said generational but and i think as the generations change that has changed as well dr alexander from a generational point of view the piece that worries me or, or concerns me is that we have to almost wait generations for change to happen. Mm. Is there any way of being able to speed that process mm. up? I think it's, it's very difficult because you can do sort of individual changes within your household, but you live within a community. So, uh, from a colored perspective, I think it has also been like that. But in my individual familial context, um, my mom was very progressive and um, independent. And she was sort of, um, she led a very different colored uh, female role so she <laughs> she she was very different to other colored women she drove a car when other colored women did so she taught my sister and I to be very independent and so in my household my husband also then took on very different roles so he would cook and my children then also were raised in a very different way so they don't see any distinctions between um, gender stereotypical roles so they are very different and I am so infinitely proud of my children like I <laughs> you picked up the last time I just absolutely adore them and in their particular households again generationally they will, you know, infer that. I know mm. that for a fact but in the, their household. The challenge here is that from an individual point of view where you've got control of your household, but as you said, we don't live in our households yes. the whole time. Yes. We have to go out into the community. Yes. So we can, you know, prescribe certain values, uh, certain beliefs within the family, but when you go out, sometimes 
there's there's, there's tension because you your view is is conflicting with the the general view of of the community mm. but i do believe that we we have some influence over not just the microsystem but the meso systems and you know all the other systems according to Bronfen Brenner because I believe as they come in context with all the other systems they can influence those systems and what I've seen with my children is that the generation that they interact with are also different I don't know about you Simonella and and Jay, I've seen that the, the the children's generations are different. I don't know if if it's it's if the it whole is like generation X Y Z. Yes, they are not like you know my mm-hmm. generations uh, colored community, and I can't speak for all colored communities because we are not you know uh, all cut from the same cloth. And on that, on, on generations, so we've, we've got baby boomers, we've got X, we've got Y, we've got Zs or, or alphas. How are you seeing gender changes, challenges, differences there? Are they more progressive? Are they neutral? I think they are very progressive now. Mm, I'm taking from what my colleagues have been, you know, alluding to um, thinking about the system you have to think about the politics of the country you have to think about the history of the country you have to think about the social fiber how it gets transformed how it changes um, through the use of um, you know uh, tools and technologies that we have uh, media, for instance, it has such an influence in informing and in gradually changing, um, you know, the culture within a particular generation. And um, I think of um, when there is an equilibrium in terms of internal transformation, which is the transformation within the mind of individuals um, and the transformation that is happening outside systemically or structurally. Well, whether you take an an, an institution or you take, you know, um, the society or the nation as a whole, I mean, if it's a nation, we think in terms of the politics at at that point in time. If there are policies there that are speaking to, you know, issues of gender inequity, and if beyond the policies, if we have... um, in institutions, institutional policies themselves within an institution, they must speak to this transformation and develop women's agency because if there is support externally, then it's easier for internal transformation to take place and women can be in a position to speak up because you know, with policies, of course, that would come with education, why things have to change. 
and women are feeling the pressure because of you know economic pressure let me put it like that i mean there are single-headed families which most of them i think i can't say percentages in terms of statis- statistics um which are headed by females headed by women and those women they really have economic dire dire economic needs that needs to be to be to be satisfied and therefore women are confronted with serious issues that even if though they were not socialized in a way that they can gain agency with social uh, 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 what um, uh, what encouragement from uh, from from politics from the government from NGOs you know uh, you find that m- women begin to gain agency and they can speak up for 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 women's needs and e- equality something that i've always tried to to grapple with is the issue that you've just pointed out here on so many households headed up by a single woman so you have the strong woman who is influencing her family with values who is putting food on the table and yet she is the one who ends up being abused by somebody she is the one who ends up being discriminated by somebody and that somebody has most likely been brought up by a single mom where what happens in this dynamic where where respect falls away why does it happen ideas i would i would think of it in terms of internalization of abuse i mean if we have a a, a male um person being raised by a single you know a, a woman and of course there were needs as a young man that were he needed to have them satisfied learning from you know a male or a male figure a father and being denied that may you know may have um may or may result in issues you know of 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 you know not knowing how to deal with him being a male figure and relating to a female figure because he may be having psychological difficulties in such a situation and therefore when he is now you know a man and old enough to be in a relationship he may find himself perpetuating unconsciously or even consciously perpetuating the very same uh, experiences that uh, he went through in childhood and you know living you know a, a woman with children and not being there not caring for 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 for, mm. for his own children because he hasn't experienced that he hasn't been exposed to caring for 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 children and can you imagine if even in institutions workplace whereby men are encouraged to care for their children to bring children you know to to workplace while they caring for children you know for a certain number of hours like now with school holidays if dad can you know bring you know his 10 year old and the other dad brings a 9 year old to the workplace then you can see in such a situation you would see or you would see that there is now a socialization within institutions that it's fine to be a dad mm-hmm. and to care 
for children. So that brings in influence on, on the community. Mm-hmm. If I look at the issues that we sort of raised, we've, we've put through socialization from childhood as, as being one fundamental, uh, as a key influencer. We've spoken about policy. We've spoken about education. We've also talked now about the negative effects of vicious cycle, that if you've experienced something that you sort of perpetuate that cycle when you go forward in, in your, your life. Uh, from your point of view, Dr. Sidat, how do we start addressing these issues? How can we stop vicious cycles from repeating? So I was going to say as well that <clears throat> exactly about that, that, there's almost a gap. So we know all of these things at, at a theoretical level, not even a theoretical, it ex- a lot of this exists in policies about the do's and the don'ts and the how's and the, all of that. So all of that exists, but whether it plays out at the ground level is a different story altogether. The person, exactly, the mum who's, ha- who's heading a household with five kids or a granny who's looking after the grandchildren while the mum is away at work, all of those things don't play out at the ground level and there's that gap that exists and something needs to be done at that level to intervene directly with the end users of these policies, the end users of these laws where things start to happen for females, where things start to happen so that in, when they get into a schooling system, all the things that uh, Dr. Maisela spoke about in terms of uh, education and those kinds of things, those things start getting addressed at a school level. Um, the kinds of roles children um, play, whether in primary school, foundation school, primary school, high school, and then getting to tertiary. Because I feel sometimes, I mean, being at a tertiary institution, a lot of these things have been set in stone from the time the child started school. And so their identities already formed and you're almost exactly. having to try to undo, undo it. it. And and it's not easy to undo those kinds of things. And and that's why I mean going back to the country and the systems within the country and the politics within the country, I just think there's a lot that needs to be done. It's difficult to say exactly where it needs to start and where it needs to end, but I do think education is key to a lot of the the difficulties that we're facing. And I think foundation and primary school uh, at those levels, if the interventions happen at those levels, males, females, and and the kinds of roles and responsibilities, and you see it playing out now with our children and the kinds of projects that they engage in, um, that they're almost more neutral in terms of building cars or building birdhouses or whatever, it's starting to do that, but then not all not everyone in South Africa has access to that kind of education either, either, which you also then have to think about. So I don't know if there's an easy answer to it. I just think it's multifaceted and it's very complex. We wish there was an easy answer to it, but um, unfortunately there, there isn't. Um, and that's why we have these conversations to try to understand where we've come from and what we can do moving forwards um, into the future. You are listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective, on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band, also available on DSTV Channel 802. Today we're talking to Dr. Deline Alexander, Dr. Jeshika Sidat, and Dr. Simangiele Maisela, 
who are all from the School of Human and Community Development at Wits University. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Hi, my name is Yvonne Chakachaka and I'm UNICEF and Rollback Malaria Goodwill Ambassador. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in the struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, a program against social ills such as racism, socio-economic class division and gender-based violence. Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amalia Balka every week on this day at this time. As we wrap up the segment of the show where we have been discussing the issues, the challenges that women are still confronting, in your perspective, what are the main issues that, that we still need to deal with? And, and starting with you, Dr. Alexander. Dr. Malaya, I think we have spoken about the sexual stereotyping. We have spoken about our uh, history that we can't get away from. You know, historically, uh, we have been socialized in a particular way. We have spoken about uh, the policies that we have, but that have not been enacted. And I think it is about the differential ways that men are treated in the workplace and women are treated. And I think it's also about the internal versus the external ways that we are thinking. And I think um, I do agree very strongly with what Jay has spoken about, that we don't give ourselves actually enough credit that we have come a long way as women and we have to recognize it and if we do that we can actually uh, celebrate that and by celebrating that the young women can be taken under our wing and they can then vicariously learn through us and through our verbal persuasion and our self-efficacy they will be able to learn and we can assist them uh, going forward. I, I think that's what we can do. Dr. Sidat, from your perspective, what do you still feel are some of the main issues that we need to contend with? If I think about it from our country's perspective, I think socioeconomic status, um, vulnerability of people coming and, and because I'm again in academia, um, students coming in from areas that maybe may not have similar kinds of experiences and exposures and, and those kinds of things, I think it leaves females a lot more vulnerable. Um, I'm not saying that it doesn't leave other genders vulnerable, but I think that vulnerability um, and I think education, just knowing your rights, knowing what your rights are. Um, I think those are still things that we need to work with. And uh, Dr. Maisela? Um, yes, I would agree with my colleagues and uh, thinking of women's uh, vulnerabilities. Um, you know, women are, um, find themselves desperate 
to to be in certain positions and with that desperation you know you may find that the male counterpart may you know find a loophole to abuse um you know the the the, the woman uh, a, a colleague or a subordinate for that matter and sexual abuse is rife in institutions and i mean we've seen the play out of the likes of uh, bill cosby i mean lately which is you know i mean now with the current um, u.s uh, case that is going on i mean it's telling how women and not only women in lower positions are are experiencing sexual abuse women in powerful positions as you know we, we we see in some of these cases so women are vulnerable and those gender um, uh, issues they really need to be tackled through education I mean women need to be empowered yeah and they need to be empowered while they are young curriculum in the curriculum in schools it really needs to address this and beyond that you know in universities like you know dr Sidat uh, has indicated that women come from different rural rural areas where they haven't been exposed to these kinds of re- gender relational challenges and they become vulnerable going for, forward in workplace this kind of vulnerability plays out. Therefore, I think education and support for women, young women, is very key to alleviate issues of gender inequities. Well, thank you very much for all of the points you raised as still being our major concerns in this first part of the program. And we look forward to addressing those issues more fully as solutions in part two. So thank you very much for for joining us today. Thank you you for having us. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, the African Perspective on frequency 9625 kHz on 31 meter band, also available on DSTV channel 802. And today we have been joined by Dr. Darlene Alexander, Dr. Tashika Sidat, and Dr. Sipangele Maisela from the School of Human and Community Development at FITS. <laughs>